Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at pastorwood.org. And now, here's your host, Jim Wood. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Chapter 7 in our book, Embracing His Will, is titled, What Do You Expect? As a pastor, I've often been called upon to anoint sick people with oil and pray for their healing, and it has always been my pleasure to do so. Because I've had supportive deacons who've joined with me in these times of prayer, we've had some beautiful experiences. And we've seen wonderful healings where God has intervened and brought about an obvious change in a person's physical condition. I also remember a frightening time when I was facing surgery and several deacons came to my home and said, we want to anoint you with oil and pray for you. I'll always be grateful for their sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. The Lord heard and answered. And although I needed surgery, a tumor wrapped around my facial nerve was successfully removed with no facial paralysis, and I'm extremely grateful. God's people should not find prayers for healing shocking or offensive. Having leaders anointing sick people with oil and praying for healing should not be viewed as aberrant behavior. For some folks, the prayers themselves are not disturbing, but a resulting healing is cause for concern. In other words, it's perfectly fine to pray as long as nobody gets well. I've often remarked that our church's reputation would change dramatically if God started miraculously healing people with any great frequency. If miracles of healing occurred at any church on a regular basis, the church's reputation would be profoundly changed, and it wouldn't elicit all positive press outside or inside the church. The church would instantly attract profoundly sick people creating an unpleasant atmosphere in which to worship. All of a sudden, there wouldn't be enough places to park because of the sick people arriving with friends and relatives. People who don't pay for the facilities would start filling the seats in the sanctuary, jamming the aisles with wheelchairs and stretchers. Many of these people would have contagious diseases, and an array of accompanying odors would be particularly unpleasant. Some people in the church would recognize God at work and would be ecstatic to be a part of what he's doing. These would be the people who'd be helping the sick, like the men who lowered their friend through the roof to place him at Jesus' feet. But other people would disassociate themselves from the church. And some churches would no longer want to be associated with this uncomfortable spectacle. Some denominational ties might be severed. In other words, lots of folks would be very upset. The attitude in many churches seems to be it's, it's perfectly fine to pray for the sick as long as they don't get well. It's respectable to pray. It's just not respectable to see and deal with manifestations of actual healing. <laughs> not in my church. 
Many years ago, on a Wednesday night just before prayer meeting at our church in Atlanta, a precious member of our traditional Southern Baptist congregation came up to me and asked if she could pray for me. She knew that I was leaving the following week on a preaching tour of the Philippines, and I'd been experiencing debilitating back pain and was concerned about the effect of the long plane ride. I didn't want to be bedridden in the Philippines, so I gladly accepted this lady's offer to pray for me. She stood behind me, placed her hands on my shoulders, and began to pray aloud in a language I did not understand. (laughs) As she fervently prayed, I could hear some stalwart members of the church coming down the hallway. I was concerned that these folks might not understand this demonstration, and I actually had the thought, here ends my pastoral ministry at this church. (laughs) My pastoral ministry continued, and God miraculously removed the pain from my neck and back. I had a wonderful flight to and from the Philippines and no problems with pain the whole time I was there. I preached every day, many times a day, and in many different locations with great response from the people. I never did hear any comment from the other church members who walked in on that Pentecostal moment. Perhaps God gave them the gift of interpretation. Or maybe he caused them to hear the prayer in English. They didn't ask what was happening and I was grateful. But I was far more grateful that God graciously answered my sister's prayer of faith and brought healing to my body. When people object to the manifestation of God's supernatural power in the church, they often use the phrase, not in my church. It's a remarkable bit of self-disclosure because we know that the church is not ours. It is we who belong to Jesus. How sad that a desire for control and the comfort of the status quo can make people resistant to the movement of God's Spirit. Do you want to see the manifestations of God's power when you pray? God expects to have free reign to work in you and through you. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Chapter 8 is about community and authority. We read about healing in the Bible, but there is such a difference between what we read in the Bible and what most of us see in our practical experience. Although God is not obligated to heal at our request, I believe that we often miss out on blessings he wants us to experience because we fail to believe the scriptures. God has not lost his power, but often we don't ask him to work and we don't do what he asks of us. The Bible tells us what to do. Prayer for healing is supposed to be offered in the context of Christian community. A Christian community is a group of believers who know each other as intimate friends, not just as familiar faces on Sunday morning. This kind of community does not exist among acquaintances who simply see each other occasionally to pray, sing, give money, and listen to a sermon. An authentic Christian community is made up of people who behave as brothers and sisters in Christ and who are ready to make sacrifices for each other as he has done for us. While we often fail to model biblical Christianity in our local churches, the church is supposed to be a group of covenanted people who know each other in deep and meaningful ways and who take their covenant relationships seriously. Trust and accountability 
develop in this atmosphere. The community of faith loves, prays for, and does things for and with each other. When needs arise, they become known and are met. This kind of intimate friendship doesn't develop automatically. It happens through small group interactions such as Sunday school, home Bible studies, retreats, choir rehearsals, missions trips, and other environments that build relational bridges between people. In the context of Christian community, people recognize God-ordained authority. In the passage quoted from the epistle of James, the church is told, Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Obviously, the early church had elders, a recognition that within the local body, God establishes and ordains authority and hierarchy. When the elders anoint the sick in the name of the Lord, this phrase indicates that they do so with the authority of Jesus. God the Father and God the Son have a relationship of hierarchy in which there is submission by the Son to the Father. The Son is fully God, but he willingly submits to his Father. God the Son delights in doing his Father's will. Jesus repeatedly makes it clear in Scripture that he only does what the Father says to do, and he only says what the Father says to say. Since there is hierarchy within the Godhead, we should not be surprised that God has ordained hierarchy in other relationships. Our failure to recognize God-ordained authority is an ancient problem. Satan got kicked out of heaven because of his refusal to submit. Although Lucifer was the highest of the angels, he refused to be in a position of submission to God. He demanded equality. Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie to them, thinking they could become like God. They rebelled against God and became slaves to Satan. Because they failed to submit to God's authority, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This problem has recurred for every person since that time. We don't want to have to submit to God. We don't want to do what God says. This is why after we are born again into God's family, we must learn submission to the Father. Remember, life in God's kingdom involves obeying the king. Submission to the Father also involves submitting to the authorities God has ordained and placed in our lives. God says the husband is the head of the wife. While women are just as good as men, maybe even better, they aren't given the God-ordained role as head of the home. These roles are not meant to be egalitarian. God has a plan, and his plan must be obeyed if we want to be truly happy. Women are not given the role of head of the family, but women are spoken of as treasures to be loved, esteemed, respected, and protected. When God created the woman to be the man's helper, he used the same title for her that he gives himself in describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, just as the Son is God. The fact that the helper brings glory to the Son and the Son is always obedient to the Father should continually remind us that our greatest fulfillment occurs in the context of submission and is never obtained through rebellion. Submission is not about value or worth. Authority and submission are about function. Women and men, shepherd and flock, are joint heirs in Christ. It is because of his loving wisdom that God chose to establish hierarchy in the home, the church, and in society. When we refuse to accept the hierarchy God has established, 
we create confusion, and sin prevails. Prayers for healing in the Bible happened in the context of Christian community and biblical authority. They also happened in the context of honest confession and repentance. Again, reading from James, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is not suggesting that all churches should have confessional booths in the foyer where members can come by and confess to clergy during the week. Bless me, brother, for I have sinned. (laughs) This scripture is talking about the fact that we all have a problem with sin in our lives. Therefore, we need to make confession and repentance a habit. If we knew that any unconfessed sins were about to be exposed publicly, most of us would like time to pray and examine our hearts and minds first. (laughs) We would want to explore our memory carefully to be sure that there aren't sins we've been ignoring or putting off dealing with until we have more time. God repeatedly reminds us, don't you understand? I love you. You don't have anything more important to attend to than your relationship with me. As troubling as illness is, it's not nearly as damaging to your health as the sin that you tolerate. Get rid of the sin in your life. If I go for a physical exam and the doctor tells me, I see something that needs to come out, I don't ignore or refuse his diagnosis. I've had eight surgeries, and I absolutely hate waking up from anesthesia. I've had horrible bouts of nausea associated with anesthesia and surgery. But if I'm given a choice between having another surgery or having a tumor in my body, I'll have the surgery and thank God for the surgeon. Well, sin is far deadlier than any tumor. Sin will eat us up from the inside out. God loves us. This is why he says, don't do that stuff. Sometimes he allows us to get in a health crisis so that we become very interested in healing prayers. Often, it is when we are ill that God has our attention about the need to confess the sin in our lives. I've known people in critical situations who still would not confess. I've seen people die rather than repent. They would not acknowledge that what they had done was wrong or that what they were doing was wrong. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that because they didn't repent, they weren't saved. I don't know. I'm simply saying that they had a problem with sin and they wouldn't let go of the sin. I know that God sometimes takes people who are living holy lives, takes them home when they're young, and that God sometimes lets wicked folks live to grow old. I don't know why. I do know that God wants us to repent and be made right with Him. God wants to work in us for His glory and honor. Hi, this is Pastor Jim Wood of Abiding in Christ. Living in the mountains of East Tennessee, I'm surrounded by phenomenal beauty in every season of the year. My wife and I live on a mountainside that adjoins the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the most popular, most visited of all the national parks in the USA. Our neighbors include bears and bobcats, foxes and raccoons, even possums and skunks. Just down the hill from our house, is the beautiful campus of Wares Valley Ranch, a miraculous place 
where God is busy changing lives from the inside out. On this program, you'll hear interviews, monologues, but mostly you'll hear the expository preaching that I do here at the ranch. Because I'm often speaking to a room full of children, you may occasionally hear background noises or illustrations and vocabulary chosen for a child's frame of reference. But the one thing I pray you will hear every time is God's Word, the eternal, inerrant Word which points us to Jesus. I'm delighted to partner with this station in bringing these messages to you, and I'd like to get to know you better as you get to know us. Please visit us on the web at pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org. Click on the link that says Contact Us and let us hear from you. We'd love to know the station where you listen. And feel free to share any prayer requests as well. We actually do pray for the specific requests that folks send us, and we love hearing how God answers those prayers. Again, the website is pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. This program is paid for by the generous donations of listeners like you. You can hear Pastor Wood's teachings 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at pastorwood.org. And when you visit pastorwood.org, we would greatly appreciate it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and, if possible, also make a donation to this ministry. So please visit pastorwood.org today or give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. To step out of my comfort zone to the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand Hebrews 12:11 says no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it as a young pastor i was called to a church where i inherited a difficult church discipline situation a wife had left her husband and was asking for a divorce I spoke with the husband and learned that he had no desire to be divorced from his wife. He assured me that she did not have biblical grounds for divorce. Well, Because she'd been an active leader in the church and was still a member, I called to ask if I could meet with her. She said yes and gave me a number where I could reach her to set up a time. I learned that several other church leaders had met with her and had asked her what they could do to help with reconciliation in the marriage. She assured them that there was no other man in her life, but she simply did not love her husband anymore. The situation became more pressing when I learned from her husband that she'd been spending the night in the apartment of a young single man in the church. This young man's parents were also members as well as leaders in the church. When I went to his parents about the accusation, they confirmed that their son had been seeing her. I repeatedly called the number she'd given me and was unable to reach her, so finally I left a message with her mother. I explained the awkward situation I'd inherited as her new pastor and my need to meet with her because she was a member of my congregation. I said that if she insisted on divorce, I would offer her the option of voluntarily removing herself from church membership, as the young man whom she was seeing had done, so that we could no longer have the responsibility of enforcing church discipline concerning her apparent sin. Her mother was extremely cordial, and I was hopeful that I'd hear from the daughter soon. Instead of hearing from the daughter, I heard from her father. I knew that he was active at another Baptist church. His church was known for being extremely conservative, so I was distressed that he began our conversation with threats of a lawsuit 
I calmly explained to him I'm not pleased to have inherited this situation as a new pastor. But I have a responsibility before God to obey Scripture. I need to speak with your daughter. His angry tirade continued, and finally I spoke in a calm but firm tone. Sir, if you stand between your daughter and the God-ordained authority in her life, as this church endeavors to do what God commands by disciplining one of our members, I can assure you on the authority of God's word that God will smite you. That evening I received calls from deacons in my church who'd been distressed to hear from this man that I had said God would smite him. However, the man died of a sudden heart attack within 48 hours. I hadn't told people what I'd said to him. He is the one who had told several people. God has ordained authority in the church, and he's commanded churches to exercise discipline. He does this because he loves us, and he understands the far-reaching consequences of sin. Let's be clear. People don't always die because of unconfessed sin. And I'm not saying this man was not a Christian. I never met him. I certainly don't know if he was saved. I do know that God is real, sin is deadly, and our only hope is grace. If the only thing Scripture told us about healing was found in these verses from James 5, we might jump to the conclusion that an inextricable link between sickness, death, and sin makes it easy to assign blame for illness and that repentance guarantees immediate healing. This conclusion would be erroneous because Many other scriptures tell us that God does not always heal the way we expect him to heal. We must develop a balanced view based on the whole of scripture. God still heals. Healing is not some weird thing that only happens at churches across town among people who lack education. We all need to do what our Father says to do. He says to pray for healing. We need to put into practice what God has said. The prayer of faith involves obedience. Prayers for healing should be offered in the context of loving Christian community, biblical church authority, and honest, repentant confession. Healing is not supposed to be the exception to the rule. But the larger context in this passage concerning the prayer of faith and healing is a lifestyle of repentance. The most important thing in this passage is not how to be healed, but how to reestablish and strengthen our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. What truly matters is a right relationship with God. In 70 years, most of us will have died. Our physical bodies will no longer be an issue. God will one day raise us up with new bodies. The issue is our eternal relationship with Him. We must not let sin cloud and interfere with our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. The reason God hates sin is because God loves people. Sin destroys. God is kind, not cruel when he allows us to suffer in order to bring us to repentance. Ruth Graham, our dear friend now in heaven, tells a story that illustrates the need to sometimes speak sternly to someone we love. When the Graham's home was being built in Montreat, Ruth was on the construction site speaking with one of the carpenters. Engrossed in conversation, she leaned against a piece of equipment. Another carpenter looked over and shouted harshly at her. She instantly recoiled. He immediately apologized. I'm sorry, Mrs. Graham, but you were about to lose your fingers. Ruth had been leaning next to a moving saw blade. She wisely observed, I will always be grateful to that man for yelling at me. Sometimes God has to yell at us to get our attention. C.S. Lewis referred to human suffering as God's megaphone. Sometimes God has to do something dramatic to get our attention. We need to hear him as he clearly says, don't do that anymore. 
God loves us. The prayer of faith, whether for physical healing or something else, involves our need to have a healthy relationship with God. Inevitably, a right relationship with our Heavenly Father involves intentionally turning away from sin, a lifestyle of repentance. Church leaders should take their roles as God's representatives very seriously. The church should be governed in a way that motivates people to turn away from sin. Authentic Christian community is not an environment in which we commiserate and make each other feel better by suggesting, well, we all sin thousands of times every day. Often, when we become aware that a fellow member is plainly sinning, our response is to think, well, who am I to judge? If we want to think biblically, we must understand that biblical accountability is not vengeful judgment. Biblical accountability is not condemning. Biblical accountability involves endeavoring to turn someone around who has wandered from the truth and lovingly bring him back into a right relationship with God. Sin is deadly. Those who love as Christ loves are grieved when a beloved brother or sister is ensnared in sin. Sadly, many who profess to be followers of Christ indulge in gossip and slander about their brothers and sisters without ever confronting them personally. If you hear of sin in a brother or sister's life from another source, the person who's sharing the information should be asked if they've spoken with the person they're accusing of sin. And if not, they are sinning themselves and should be confronted. If we really love our brothers and sisters the way God says we're supposed to love them, we will go to them, risking the social embarrassment of upsetting them, and honestly say, I care about you. What you're doing is not right. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I have struggles too, but I can see right now that you're headed in the wrong direction. I love you too much to just watch it happen. I've got to call you back. This is the context of Christian community and biblical authority desperately needed if we're to experience the healing God longs to send us. When Jesus confronted the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida, he asked him, do you want to get well? If wholeness occurs in the context of intimate community, submission to authority, and a repentant quest for holiness, then the question is real. How about it? Do you want to get well? Folks, just want to remind you that this book is available as a gift to you if you will contact us. You can visit our website at pastorwood.org or call us at 866-41-ABIDE. And we hope that if you get the book, you'll pray for us. Please be in touch. Thank you for listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. Pastor Wood is a popular speaker for family and marriage retreats, conferences, and pro-life fundraisers. If you are planning an event, a retreat, or conference and would like to invite Pastor Wood to speak or teach, please visit pastorwood.org and fill out our speaker request form. At this site, you will also find over a dozen books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife, Susan. Again, please visit pastorwood.org today. That's pastorwood.org.